Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. My Believe in Broncos podcast is presented by my friends at Superbook Sports. They have the most favorable pricing and better odds. They are the leader in Las Vegas for over 30 years. They have extensive wagering menu for everything you want to bet. And the mobile app, it's now available at Superbook.com. Coming soon, they will be at the Lodge Casino in Blackhawk. So sign up today and start betting. Welcome to the Believe in Broncos podcast. I am your host, Troy Rink from Denver 7. Thanks, as always, for joining me. Can't thank you all enough for the support over the last month since we started this uh, podcast. Thanks to my son, Dagan, my oldest son, for producing it, turning these episodes around quickly. Uh, and we always have something to bron- uh, talk about when it comes to the Broncos. And they have made news this week with some of their hires off the field, significant hires. Also, later in my podcast, I catch up with one of my favorite guys, Tyler Columbus. Such a unique story, having grown up in Colorado, played for Cherry Creek High School, then the CU Buffs, then the Denver Broncos. And he finishes his career the last game he ever played, winning a Super Bowl ring, Super Bowl 50. So that's coming up later. But first, as we jump into this pod, let's look at some of these off-field hires, significant hires by George Payton. You're talking about a GM coming in and putting his stamp on a program, if you will. Uh, He's made significant hires in this past week. Let's talk about the first one, and that is Kelly Klein. Believed to be the highest ranking position in football for a woman, she was hired this week as Executive Director of Football Operations Special Advisor to GM George Payton. That happened on Monday. She's going to serve in a primary, uh, kind of a liaison for George Payton. She's going to have a bunch of responsibilities with departments reporting to her. Uh, This includes people in the pro and college scouting part of it. She's going to be uh, involved with the personnel department. Player evaluation, I mean, free agency, draft prep. If you're asking me, I mean, I think you're seeing a woman that would be on the track to someday to be a general manager of an NFL team. And we've seen that with the Florida Marlins with Kim Young uh, this year. Uh, I know Kim, when she was with the Dodgers, she was later with the Yankees. So this is a significant hire. Kelly Klein, a dynamic hire. And you can see with some of these roles that Peyton is filling that he's starting to get more hybrid type people, people that can fill multiple jobs. But let's not underestimate with Klein, when you have people reporting to you in an NFL front office, that tells you the significance of this role. I was told by multiple sources, when Peyton got hired in January, he ID'd Kelly Klein as someone he absolutely wanted on board with his front office team, and he makes that happen. He called her a, quote, rising star in the NFL, someone they're fortunate to have. He worked with her for nine years in Minnesota, and this is her 10th season in the NFL. She's All she's done is work hard. It wasn't like she played in the league, had great contacts in the league. All she's done is worked hard, and especially with scouting assignments for the Vikings, which clearly George Payton was impressed, observed that, and now he brings her aboard again, as Executive Director of Football Operations, a special advisor. So let's keep an eye on this one because if this front office works the way George Payton wants it to work in terms of dynamic personalities, disruptive in the way he wants to use people and create collaboration, she will be very significant in that way. And again, I'm not saying she's going to be a football GM in the NFL, 
But if you look at her background and the path she's on, it's something when we look down the road, could we be seeing Kelly Klein as someday a future GM in the league? So a significant hire for George Payton. And, and again, a fresh set of eyes, which we've said this for five years. When you've missed the playoffs for five years, you had four straight losing seasons. You've got to change some things up. And that's what they're doing here with George Payton. So we'll see if it works out. But I really respect the way he's going about that. And then his other hire uh, came on Tuesday where he added Roman Pfeiffer as senior personnel executive. Uh, Peyton announced that on Tuesday. This is someone that he has known since their days as teammates at UCLA. So we're dating back to the mid-80s. Remember, George Peyton worked his way up from a former high school quarterback to a special teams contributor at UCLA and earned the respect of his teammates just the way he worked. I mean, he was that kind of guy on special teams for some really good Bruins teams at the end of his career. He's known Roman Pfeiffer since then. Pfeiffer actually coached with the Broncos back in 2009, 2010, but he is gonna be in a hybrid role. So you have familiarity with Peyton, with Roman Pfeiffer. You have a guy who played in the league. You've also had a guy who's worked with multiple different teams. He's won rings as a player uh, with the Patriots. But he's going to have a hybrid role where he's going to be scouting out of the office. Uh, he might, he'll have a presence in the Broncos office. And he gives them a, a different, again, a different perspective as someone who's played the game, coached the game, and now worked his way up into a front office, beginning with a, a program he did with the Detroit Lions back in 2016, 2017. So in that role, he was working with players and communicating with colleges and staff. He's also, again, just kept progressing. And the thing I like about Pfeiffer is he's done it from all angles. As a player, a winning player, uh, with you know, winning organizations, he's done it as a coach, and now he's seen it with the front office. In my experience in baseball, which you know, I a lot of times go back to that, you're talking about when people can see it from multiple lenses and through multiple lenses, I believe it can contribute to success because it allows them to be versatile, it allows them to be nimble, and it allows them to be more dynamic because of the skill set of the people involved. So again, will this result in on-field success? We don't know that. I just know that what I respect about Peyton is he has a plan, he's executing this plan, and he's filling people in the front office where it's not square peg, round hole. I'm trying to keep people aboard that never done it this way, but they're going to be fine. No, you can keep some good people aboard. But when you want to put your stamp on an organization as a general manager, you have to have people that understand that philosophy. And so when they're reporting to a Kelly Klein or a Rowan Pfeiffer is seeing things and getting back to George Payton, there's an understanding of what Payton wants. And that's when you can create collaboration and you can create progress because we're not all, well, this is how we used to do it. This is how we used to do it. Well, again, what you were doing at one point worked. It's not working right now. That's why we changed. So I respect the way they're going about this. I respect the way Peyton's going about it. We'll see. It's all off-field stuff. So we'll see. And real quickly, we'll get into the Broncos. You know, I've had this issue with NFLPA. Uh, you've followed my Twitter feed. You've seen I feel for the players not being more protected in this situation. First, Jawan James getting cut, and the Broncos have no plans to pay his $10 million. That will end up in a grievance. Deshaun Hamilton then last Friday, he tears his ACL. He was released here on Tuesday. They don't owe him a dime either. Deshaun Hamilton is a total pro, one of the best people you'll ever meet. So I'm rooting for him because they had a trade in place, according to sources, with the 49ers right before he tears his ACL in an offseason activity. 
In the past, clubs honored that because a person was training, a player was training for football. It wasn't skydiving, it wasn't rock climbing. They would always take, not always, but almost every instance, take care of the player if he was injured, training for football off-site. Well, that's changed because there's a labor issue right now. The sides are going back and forth. The NFL's made it very clear that the contracts say they do not have to pay if guys are off-site. They want the players in. I just think the NFLPA, and I've tweeted this and said this in multiple radio interviews, the NFLPA needs to create insurance, umbrella insurance for these players to protect them, and they need to have a war chest reserve fund of money to protect guys who've been hurt. And Juwan James tweeted that at me, quote tweeted me, and said, do you have our back, NFLPA, regarding this? And the silence was deafening. And I understand the NFLPA's position of, we negotiated into the 17th game. We want the offseason shorter, and we want it virtual. We want less physical demands in the offseason. Totally understandable. But you negotiated this, and now you're trying to convince young players and other players to do something that I don't know that benefits the entire rank and file. It benefits more of the older player and the established player who's made money. But if you're a young draft pick or if you're someone trying to make a team at the back of a roster, what are you doing to incentivize that? And now you have almost 70 Broncos at Broncos Voluntary Minicamp. They were the first team to opt out, if you will. So I just think at some point the NFLPA needs to clarify to their players, what is the purpose of this? What are we trying to accomplish? And if it's just a shorter offseason and has nothing to do with COVID-19, make that clear. And if you're going to have advise guys to stay away from the facility, you need to have an umbrella insurance policy, find training sites around the country that you can insure, insure and you have to have a reserve fund to protect some of their money otherwise given the short window of opportunity for a pro player to make money i don't know how you're going to get all these players to stay in line it just comes across as a very soft and confusing protest and boycott but i root i root for Jawan james and deshaun hamilton to get healthy i hope they're able to resume their career and play well but they have found themselves as tennis balls in a volley back and forth over the net between the nflpa and the NFL teams, and it's likely in both cases going to end up in a grievance. But now some for better news. Not a grievance. I don't have a grievance with this guy. I love this guy. That's Tyler Columbus, former buff, just like myself. He's a CU buff and is such an inspirational story both on and off the field. I had a chance to catch up with Tyler this week. He's a host. You know him for 104.3 The Fan on the afternoon drive with DMAC. Uh, just very insightful, very knowledgeable about football and in life in general. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's where I pick up my time and uh, hang out and talk football and life with Tyler Columbus. My show is presented in part by Hoggett Injury Law. With us, it's personal. Speaking of personal, let me tell you about my friend Darby Hoggett. I've known Darby for about a decade, coached his son in travel baseball. We used to hang out at games, talk about sports, especially the Denver Broncos. He's a big fan. We have become good friends. In fact, many of his clients have become his good friends. You don't even have to pay Darby up front. If your case goes as planned, Darby will be the one writing checks to you. If you've been hurt in a car wreck or injured at work, give his team a call at 1-833-HOGGIT. That's 1-833-H-O-G-G-A-T-T. Or find out more, visit their website at www.hoggetlaw.com. Welcome to the Believe in Broncos podcast. I am your host, Troy Rink, from Denver 7. And as promised, Tyler Columbus, my man, a fellow CU buff. This is my second. Go buffs. buffs. Go Buffs, right? Shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, buddy. Without a doubt. I love talking to another Buffalo. 
I talked to Mike Pritchard about his uh, glory days at CU, and it was fantastic. I love my time in Boulder. I'll start there. You are one of the few guys, local high school, Cherry Creek, CU Buffs, Denver Broncos. Do you ever pinch yourself and say, how the heck? How the heck did this happen? Man, my story is so unique. It's so crazy. I mean, I, I was just blessed from day one. You know, to start out my, my high school career right here in Denver, went to Cherry Creek High School, and then I just go up the street a little bit, go 45 minutes up the road up to CU Boulder, uh, and I come right back down that exact same road for my first few years in the league playing for the Broncos. Uh, so, you know, I, I started my career here in Denver, and then I did bounce around a little bit, went out to Seattle for a few years, went out to Washington for four years, but I came back to Denver as well, obviously, uh, for my final year. So the, the amount of opportunities that I had to play in front of my family and friends was just insane. Unfortunately, my CU Buffalo days, uh, not quite as glorious as Mike Pritchard's. <laughs> I know you, you were on Hawkins with his first team, right? Or did we? So, yeah. So Gary Barnett recruited me. Uh, so I played three years for Gary and then right. I, I redshirted. So I was a five-year guy. And uh, then I played my, my last two years were for Dan Hawkins. And, you know, that first year was the famous year in which uh, we, we won like two games or something. And we lost to Montana state at home. I ended up playing one of my good friends in life is Mike person. Uh, I, we were teammates out in Atlanta. He was on that team that beat me. So I ended up being teammates with somebody from Montana state that beat the Colorado Buffaloes. That was that year Hawkins ran his first year. He ran that high school seventh grade offense where it was just either run left, run right, or run up the middle because you didn't have That's a right. quarterback. I, I was like, oh my word, this is not good. <laughs> not in the Pac 12. But you were a tight end, weren't you? How did, you just got big and ended up moving outside? Or is it just they so, saw your, your feet and your arms and said you well, profile better? Well, yeah. Well, first off, I was never going to be athletic enough to make a long term run at playing tight end. Uh, but in high school, even so, I, I, I was a string bean man. I was six foot eight, and my senior year of probably uh, 235 pounds at six foot eight, and that was probably I was probably weighing in with a 25 pound plate on my back. <laughs> I, I mean, I dude, I, I I was a string bean. So by the time I got up to see you, uh, I was maybe 250, 255, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, and I did get a couple of offers out of high school to play tight end, Washington and Nebraska. Uh, they both offered me as a tight end. Ironically, I didn't even play tight end in high school, though. I okay. played tackle. They yeah. just profiled me to because uh, I was too skinny to turn into a tackle. So they thought I'd be a tight end at the next level. Uh, I knew that I definitely was not athletic enough to be a tight end in the long run, though. So it, it, it was a recruiting ploy. That's what it was, Troy. You know how this thing works. Hey, we'll recruit you to be a tight end. Come here to Nebraska. Come here to Washington. You can play tight end. They, they, they'd switch me over there to tackle within three months. I know you're the, first, the second day of practice. You should go work with those tackles. Wait, what? Right, right. <laughs> I got to ask, so can Tim Tebow play tight end in the NFL at age oh, 33? Man. I think he's 33. You know, I, I mean, could Tim Tebow have played tight end? Probably. He, he, there's no reason why he couldn't have been the original Taysom Hill. I, I've got serious doubts about whether he could pull it off at this point at 33 years old. You know, I went back and I looked at Tim Tebow's 40 time, uh, and which was what, Troy, you probably know, nine, 10 years ago, something like that. And he ran a 471. I would say he's probably 46, 47. He's probably 49 now. Oh, yeah, maybe, right? I mean, dude, that's offensive tackles. 
offensive tackles are running uh, a four nine nowadays. So what, what kind of mismatch is he going to be at the tight end spot now? I'm not a Tim Tebow hater. If you want to go uh, pursue your dreams and you can pull it off, good for you, man. Uh, I just don't know what he's going to bring to the table that he's going to be athletically superior to somebody that's already on that team. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard it was like when they tried to get him to move to tight end years ago after the quarterback thing fizzled, there was concern with his shoulders because he'd had so many shoulders injuries from running the football yeah. that he just couldn't block like physically. So then he'd have to be a flex out tight end. And like you said, I don't know if he has the speed. I, I never doubt the guy. I you know I root for anyone to, to pursue their dream like you, but at his age, I just don't know. I mean, to come back and play a skill position, it's just, man. Uh, that's tough. Right. Well, and like you mentioned, the other part of it is if, okay, so if he's going to be a tight end at 33 years old, your tight ends that are still playing, they're your blocking tight ends. Right. Tim Tebow has never blocked anybody in his life. And no, that's not a skill set that you could just pick up overnight. Yeah. There's so much more than just banging your body into somebody. It's a learned trade. I mean, you're professional athletes that are learning how to block these guys. So, uh, hey, Maybe Urban Meyer's got something crazy uh, up his sleeve. So far, Urban Meyer seems a little bit crazy down there. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> doing a little some weird stuff. He's doing some weird stuff for sure. Well, the one play everyone asks me about when it comes to you, Tyler, other than you won a ring with the Broncos, certainly, and you're the reason they went on that playoff run. We'll get, I'll ask about that later. But that Marshawn Lynch run, you're outrunning the beast. You're, you're right there. You've got to take me through that play. I mean, that's one of the most iconic right. running plays in NFL history. And there's my guy, Tyler Palumbo, right in the middle of it. Right. Well, if you're talking about just like a singular play that is the most vivid in my memory – by far, it's the Beast Quake. I mean, I can remember all the details of it. I've obviously seen it a uh, hundred times. It's on the NFL Network's top runs. Uh, my son can break it down for you. <laughs> my son, my son was was born while I was playing in Seattle, so he's a huge Seahawks fan actually. And uh, he got to Facetime with Marshawn a, a few weeks ago, and uh, so he was fantastic. Spent forty five minutes with him, learned a few colorful words. I'm not going to lie to you. So, uh, but, but it, it was great. Anyways, that run, man, we were, we were the underdogs. We weren't supposed to be in the playoffs. We had a losing record yet. Somehow we made it into the playoffs facing off against the saints at home. And dude, you want to talk about a run of a lifetime. It was 17 power. I was playing left guard, uh, which I I'm a tackle by trade, but that season they needed me to play guard for like the last five games. And uh, so I, you know, I just blocked down. I had a double team. Uh, our guy that we were double teaming up to, he actually vacated out of space. So I ended up with nobody to climb to at the second level. So I sort of look around and I'm like, Is it, what's going on here? Uh, I realized that, that he's still on his feet. So I just start running. And right. uh, lo, lo, lo and behold, I, I, I end up 40, 45 yards down the field. Uh, I get the last block uh, on, on the safety there. And I, I just barely nicked. I wish I could have like pancaked him or something that, that could have been like something more defining for that, that type of play. Uh, but I got just enough on him. Marshawn got in. Uh, and the whole time I remember just sitting there thinking to myself, we better score on this run right now because I'm not going to be able to bounce back from it. <laughs> you can't go. But, but I mean, so for anyone that doesn't know, the reason they call that the beast quake is because obviously Marshawn was the beast and, that literally registered on the Richter scale in the city of Seattle. So that moment went so nuts across the city uh, that it literally registered on the Richter scale. So uh, it, it, I guess it caused an earthquake. <laughs> you get goosebumps when you watch it still? Is there a moment like you go right back to that time? 
when you see it come oh, on? Yeah, yeah there's uh, most of my career is a blur and, and you can barely remember the details of uh, specific games. You could hardly remember what games you won, what games you lost, but you remember the big moments. And uh, that was definitely one of the biggest moments of, of my career. It was certainly the 15 seconds of fame that will live on forever because Marshawn gave me some shout outs and NFL films uh, version of it. And so uh, that I'll, I'll always have that. I got a big old photo of it in the basement and yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Well, your other big memory is you go in at the, that Chargers game and uh, you end up helping them, the Broncos make that playoff run and you joke about it. I know, but it's still, what was it like to, to win a Super Bowl with your hometown team? I mean, that was yeah. such a, I don't want to say a magical run, but Peyton, Peyton coming back certainly changed the context of that run because it's always going to remember, be remembered as his last season. Yeah. Well, I guess to properly answer that, I, I got to back up a little bit, tell a little bit of a personal story because uh, I was in my eighth year. Uh, I was playing and I, I, I went from the Washington football team out to Atlanta with Kyle Shanahan. So everywhere I went was with the Shanahan's. And so Kyle took me out to Atlanta uh, I was only there until like week three, uh, week four, something like that. I ended up getting released. And uh, I knew that at one time as a veteran, uh, if you get released after the season begins, you can collect your full salary. And so uh, I turned to my wife after getting released. We're sitting there in Atlanta. And I was like, uh, I'm kind of tired of moving around. You tired of moving around? And so we're, we kind of came to the conclusion that that was going to be it, that I, I was going to retire. And so uh, we, we actually booked flights to come back to Denver, uh, cause I knew I was going to collect my salary that year anyways. Um, so we booked flights to go, to go to Denver, uh, 30 minutes after I booked that flight, I get a call from John Elway and he says, Hey, Ty, John Elway, uh, you want to come back and play for the Broncos? And I'm like, well, I already booked a flight. Sure. Why not? <laughs> so, uh, so I, I, I come back and. Uh, we, we, we get back to Denver and, you know, who would have thought that in my final year, I just get, uh, an extra year that was basically a freebie, uh, lined up back with the team that I started with here in Denver and it goes for a Super Bowl. It was just uh, a dream come true. gives you goosebumps. That was the final game I ever played in and Super Bowl 50. Uh, I walked away, walked off into the sunset and, it was all over from there. So <laughs> unbelievable moment. Yeah. And all you've done since then is just do great things in your life. And we by, moved by to, the way, there, there's the jersey. That's the Super Bowl 50 jersey right there. <laughs> hey, here's a side note to that. So Tyler, I was at the fan one morning before you were regular, and he showed me the ring and I dropped his Super Bowl ring. That's how athletic I am. <laughs> I was like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know, it's not like I worked my whole life for this, but no, go ahead. You know, like Tom Shane just makes one around the corner. We're good. No, go ahead and drop it, Troy. We're good. <laughs> like, no, That's since so your, post, your post career has been just as uh, fascinating and productive. But let's go to you, you lose your mom, Tyler, and you, you come up with a, a charity event where you ride. You, you've lost all this weight and you got into fitness. How did that come about to where you wanted to make a difference in what was clearly had to be one of the hardest times of your life? Yeah. So, Troy, I had a um, really, really tough few years right there at the tail end of my career. And uh, I, my going into my, my eighth year there, um, I actually lost my brother in a car accident. And, Sorry, I didn't know that. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was just a brutal experience. He 
uh, had had four kids and uh, a wife and uh, you know they didn't have much money at all and uh, it was just it, it was a, a really devastating moment about two weeks after that uh, my mom gets diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer and uh, the, initially the prognosis from the doctors was really really bad uh, they, they were telling us it, it could be weeks it could be months Um, but uh, enjoy every month, uh, every moment that you can. And this all happened, uh, within a month or so of leading up to going to training camp, uh, out in Washington. And so find that out. Um, I go out to Washington uh, for training camp. And for the first time in my career, uh, I go out to my coach and I'm like, Hey, I'm not here. I'm mentally not here. I got to go home. I'm not sure if I'm going to see my mom again. And I was so nervous to do that because yeah. I've never missed football practice for anything in my life. And they were incredible. Bought me a first class ticket, uh, sent me home, uh, said, take as long as you need. Uh, so anyways, I thought that might've been the last time I was going to see her. My mom ended up li- living for uh, close to another six years after that. Uh-huh. Uh, so she, she really, uh, did well in comparison to what the initial prognosis was. Um, so I ended up having a lot of time with her, but uh, throughout that process, obviously became uh, fairly well involved with ovarian cancer uh, awareness. And uh, as I retired, um, my mom was around for the Super Bowl, which was fantastic. She was there. Uh, she was a part of it. Uh, she, she got to be a part of uh all the major moments, which was incredible. Um, but I, after I retired, I lost all that weight. Um, my mom ended up passing away and, uh, I, uh, I kind of got into this new hobby of biking and it kind of came out of nowhere. And so, uh, I, I decided to start a, a fundraiser called pedal with Columbus and it's, it's pedal with Columbus to beat ovarian cancer is the full name of it. And we've teamed up with uh, Colorado Ovarian Cancer Alliance, COCA, who does Jody's Race. They do a bunch of awareness events here in Colorado for uh, ovarian cancer. And, you know, we, we, I, I did a, a century ride last year in the middle of the pandemic. I couldn't have anybody there. Uh, it's um, uh, going to be different this year. We'll, we'll have people there. And, and it, it's going to be uh, a little bit, uh, there'll, there'll be Bronco stops involved at the stadium back at the uh, facility and all kinds of fun stuff, but it's a great cause. We raised uh, in the first year all by myself. Uh, we raised close to fifty thousand dollars for uh, ovarian cancer awareness, uh, and that's all due to the uh, just generosity of my listeners and fans and friends and family. Uh, and and in year two, I want to I want to do over double that. So uh, we're we've got big goals this year, and uh, uh, hopefully uh, every everything lines up that we can get people out there. And it looks like we're getting to that point with all the vaccines and everything that hopefully we can have a bigger event this year. Yeah. When people ask me like athletes, I stay in touch with post-career. Some of them are surprised. Like I wasn't as close necessarily when I covered them, but there's a connection and it, the thread that binds all of them, they're just good people. And you're good people, Tyler. I mean, it's that. Uh, I appreciate it. And that's well, how I mean, it's funny. It's funny. Cause you know, as offensive linemen, we don't, we don't talk to the media. Right? I know that's and, right. We don't have this yeah. great relationship. Everyone's like, well, you knew they were going to be in the media. And I'm like, well, you can see certain guys out of personality, but we didn't talk yeah. to them a lot. Like Schlereth, right. I knew Mark back in the, I covered him for when I was at the times call in 95 during the Super Bowl years, I was a beat writer for the Longmont times call. And he did a, uh, 
I uh, there he, I had re remember doing a story on him where he had Gillian Barr syndrome. It nearly yeah, cost yeah. him his career. And a girl I covered that played volleyball at Niwot High School. I think it was volleyball. She had it. And I went to Mark and he gave her a football and talked to her. But it's just like this thread of linemen that I know from Orlando to you to Mark to I mean, they just they're all good people. Matt Paradis. Like I could go on. Some right. of the guys that I they, they remind me so much of baseball guys I covered. That it's really yeah, that yeah. offensive linemen should have been baseball players. That that's another guy that if you interview him right now, he's one of the worst interviews in the world. <laughs> right. but, but but that's intentional. And yes. in post career, he's that's a very articulate, smart man that probably would do well. I, I remember one of our one of our close uh, acquaintances, uh, Nikki Javala. She she had a uh, an interview with me when I came back to Denver. Uh, for my final year and she sits down and she's like, Hey, I want to do a profile on you. And I'm like, I, so I actually didn't know Nikki. I knew most of the media members, uh, but Nikki was kind of new to, at least to me and uh, she sits down and, and I'm like, ah, no, you don't, you don't want to do a piece on me. Why would you want to do that? She's like, no, you're the local hometown hero. Everybody wants to know about you. I'm like, ah, nah, nobody cares about me. I'm a nobody. You don't, you, you don't want to do that. <laughs> Nikki and I are very, very close friends today. Uh, but we always joke about the first interaction where I was refusing to uh, uh, give the uh, give the interview uh, when when she's trying to do me a solid and write the uh, right. hometown hero comes comes home story. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you have to know what it's like because you you're on radio now and you do fantastic work and you somehow work with DMAC every day, so you're going to get some <laughs> kind of uh, humanitarian award at the end of this. But what's it like being in the media, being on the radio, being on the air? it's four hours a day now what's it like what's that life like for you you know the the first year or two it seriously was like a daily moral conflict I, I, i'm not kidding like every day i woke up and i'd look in the mirror and i'd be like Ooh, am i really going to turn my back on my old self like this <laughs> <You know? laughs> i'm going to the dark side right now i don't even know who i am so uh the, the first year or two it was, it was a little bit weird but uh, I knew I wanted to stay close to the game, and I ended up getting – I've actually had three opportunities to go coach in the NFL. Uh, okay. I've had three job offers, and uh, I've turned them all down, and each one of them has been insanely hard to turn down. But uh, my wife and I have just made a decision that, yeah, as much as I love the game, I love my family more, mm -hmm. and uh, that it's a really, really difficult lifestyle. And so what can I do? I've got a Ph.D. in football. I can either go coach or I could talk about it. And so uh, I called up, uh, I actually, DMAC is the one that they got me my first opportunity. Uh, I called him up and I asked if he had any advice and uh, he got me a meeting with uh, the, the boss at the fan the next day. Uh, and I was pretty much on air like right away. <laughs> um, so the, the further you get removed, the easier it is. But that first year or two, when all your buddies are still on the team That's and, tough. You're, and you're analyzing your, your best friends, the guys that are on your text threads, the guys that you talk about. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's, that was uh, a little bit uncomfortable, but uh, every year that you get removed, uh, it gets easier and easier because you don't really know the guys, but yeah. uh, you, you still never want to lose that personal connection. And I think that's what makes athletes, especially at the fan, uh, really, really good is that, you know, we are very honest and sometimes we get accused of uh, just being uh, like almost anti-Broncos. That's not true, uh, not even remotely true. Uh, I'm, I'm very invested in the Denver Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. uh, very, very invested. And, but, but we, we know how to 
uh, be critical yet remember what it's like uh, as a player. And so I try to never forget what it's like to be in the player's shoes and uh, try to critique performance and not the human being, you know, right. and, and as long as you're critiquing the performance, uh, I think that most guys can understand and respect that. Yeah. Just, I try to tell guys that if you're good, I say you're good. If you're bad, you, I say you're bad. I mean, it's not personal. It's just my job right, right. to analyze it. So, and when you get into trouble is when you make it personal with someone, because then you, it's just like anything. Then you start looking for reasons. Someone did something or just, you just, you guys are great at just analyzing the game and tell me what's uh, tell me what you see. Well, that's going to, where we're going to end it with this question. The Broncos have had a tackle problem, uh, Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> you know, since that Super Bowl season, it's been a carousel of tackles. Um, but now they've signed two this past week in Bobby Massey, Cam Fleming. What do, what should fans know about them? Have they addressed it? adequately enough to go into the season uh, is because obviously James is gone now. And, you know, I, I, I asked you this before and I'll ask, are they better off with those two than they would have been with James? And what do you feel like, what's your comfort level with Massey and Fleming as they will go into training camp? Yeah, I've watched quite a bit of film on both those guys and Bobby Massey has been an eight year starter in the NFL. Uh, he's also been a guy that uh, it reminds me a little bit of myself, to be honest, in which, yeah, he's been an eight-year starter. Uh, I was more like a four- or five-year starter, but uh, the whole time that he's been a starter, his team has been trying to upgrade if they could, yet it's been very difficult, right? Because right. he's just good enough that he's hard to replace, uh, but he's got enough moments that you're like, ugh, if we could get better, we would, right? Um, that's who he is. So you got a, you got a pretty solid tackle in Bobby Massey with a ridiculous amount of experience. Broncos are very fortunate that uh, he was out there. Fleming, in my opinion, is uh, definitely going to be the backup to uh, Bobby Massey, although they're getting paid basically the same amount of money. So uh, I suppose it's going to be a legitimate open competition. I guess I would just be surprised if Fleming ends up winning the job, unless Bobby Massey's got some outstanding injuries from that knee that he just hasn't healed up, right? Um, are we better off? Well, that's a complicated question because – if Juwan James is healthy and is on the field and wants to play, he's a dang good football player. So no, the guys we have right now are not better football players than Juwan James, but they're both much more reliable than Juwan James. And, and we both, and they're both capable. I would say uh, to be uh, in, in a spot like the Broncos were needing a tackle uh, at, at this point after the draft and everything, really, really fortunate to have two guys that, are capable of stepping in and playing at a high level in Fleming and Massey. Well, I, I agree. At least they got they, they have more depth too now, it appears. But, folks, again, this is Troy Rank with the Believe in uh, Broncos podcast. I've been joined by Tyler Columbus. You can catch Tyler on 104.3 The Fan every afternoon in the drive with DMAC. He's got pedal uh, for, with Columbus, and I'll make sure and link that to you when, when I tweet out this podcast so you guys can go there and donate and help Tyler. Tyler's one of the best people. Get away from the fact he's got a remarkable athletic story. He's just a good person, and that's the kind of people I like having on this podcast. So, Tyler, thanks so much for carving out some time for me, my man. Hey, anytime, brother. Enjoyed it. Thanks for joining me on the Believe in Broncos podcast. I am your host again, Troy Rink from Denver 7. Uh, thanks to my guest, Tyler Columbus. I want to thank my sponsors, Superbook Sports, Darby Hoggett of Hoggett Injury Law. Thank my son, Dagan, for producing this. Uh, I do this podcast for you all, but happiness that starts with me. So go out there and have a great day.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.